Welcome back to the Facts About PACs. I'm Michaela Isler, NAPAC's Executive Director, and I'm joined by my co-host, Adam Belmar. Great to see you, sir. So great to be here and have the opportunity, Michaela, to wish you and everyone listening a happy holidays. Thanksgiving was a great treat this year, more than maybe any other year, because I was celebrating a big birthday. But I got to imagine it was a break for you after that amazing post-election conference. Well, first, happy belated birthday. I feel like we got to celebrate a little bit together down in Florida. But yeah, you know, Thanksgiving kind of came at a good time on the heels of an incredible conference. We had a great week together. We had some great speakers. Members were just high energy and super engaged the entire week. And so I was really ready to just kick back and watch some football and let some friends host and cook the turkey. So feeling really rejuvenated to finish off this very, very busy year. But you know, Adam, even as we contemplate the holidays, the 2022 elections still aren't quite complete. So while we wait to see what happens in the Georgia runoff, this is the perfect time to bring in our good friend and most valued congressional resource to help get us focused on the new Congress. Coming up in a minute on the number one PAC podcast in America, Federal Street Strategies, Andy Jones, and a PAC Director's Guide to the 118th Congress. The Facts About PACs podcast is produced especially for the members of the National Association of Business Political Action Committees. In every episode, we recap this week's NABPAC activities, share actionable intelligence and best practices, all while connecting the PAC community. Thanks, Adam. And, you know, I really like the title of today's episode, The PAC Director's Guide to the 118th Congress, because most assume that after the elections, we're we're just all kind of kicking back and getting ready for the holidays. And really, it's a very busy time, still wrapping up this Congress and getting prepared for next year. And so now to help clarify the landscape of a divided Congress in 2023, we have Andy Jones joining us from Federal Street Strategies. Thanks for being with us, Andy. Thanks, Michaela, it's good to be here. Well, it's great to see you down in Florida. Appreciate you joining us a couple of weeks ago. Uh, So let's start with the current reality on Capitol Hill, Andy. As I said, it is a very busy time. And what should we all know about the lame duck session that is underway? Yeah, so things have gotten started this week uh, with the lame duck. And the House and Senate have both had their leadership elections, their internal party elections. Uh, On the Democratic side, the big news, of course, is that Speaker Pelosi... Steny Hoyer and uh, Jim Clyburn have have announced they're going to step aside and let a a new generation of leaders led by Hakeem Jeffries take over the House Democratic Caucus. There are also conference elections in both the House and Senate for Republicans, too. Kevin McCarthy is is struggling to make sure that he has enough votes to be elected speaker when the Congress comes back in January. So that's been this week. Looking forward out to next week and beyond, the government has to be funded past December 13th. That's where the extent of the continuing resolution that we're living under now goes. And there's a big hope that members of Congress will be able to have a broad omnibus funding bill that will fund the government through the end of the fiscal year, which goes into October 1st. Attached to that omnibus would be um, a wide variety of things. They're also hopefully going to conclude working on the National Defense Authorization Act. And there's a host of things that could be added into the omnibus or the defense bill, including healthcare extenders, the Electoral Count Reform Act, which we've talked about here before, the legislation that would resolve the role of the vice president and Congress in counting up the votes after a presidential election. That that should hopefully be included in the omnibus bill leadership in both houses and on both sides of the Capitol, but also both parties have announced that they want to have that 
get through this year at the end of the year. But there's there's sort of a general feeling of clearing the decks. Let's make everything, get everything passed that we can. A lot of retiring members are, are leaving, so they want to have their legacy items included because this is their last chance to get it in. So there, there's pretty broad hope that there's a, a big bill. Of course, uh, the time's running out, so I don't know if they're going to be able to finish it next week or by the time that this CR expires. So they may need to extend the continuing resolution for another week or two uh, and possibly stay here until right up to the holidays. They love to threaten senators and congressmen to, and members of Congress to that they're going to be here on Christmas morning if they don't get their work done. And that is absolutely the case this year where there there is talk of of being here until right up until December 24th or 25th. So when Congress operates under deadlines, sometimes they, they push it to the last minute, but sometimes they also decide, let's make a deal and get out of here and go home and see our constituents or celebrate the holidays. So Andy, let's let's just take a minute and and walk our listeners through, you know, what happened on election day, well, or election month as we now know it, um, and really what that means for how Washington will operate for the next two years. Yeah, so election day, I think, surprised a lot of people. Um, I think, you know, big picture, I think the thing to remember is that uh, with redistricting, and this happens every 10 years, you had new districts drawn for almost every House member in America, everyone who doesn't represent a whole state. So that led to a lot of members representing new areas or a lot of districts being redrawn or eliminated, which meant that it was a big incentive for a lot of senior members to retire just on the grounds of they they didn't want to have to work in new territory, they figured this was a good time to leave, or their district just didn't exist anymore. So it led to a lot of new districts, new lines, new tur- and, and a lot of turnover. So it one of the other impacts of that is that most of the redistricting that was done was, was fairly partisan, uh, and it, it really reduced the number of competitive seats in the country. So uh, as far as where those competitive seats are, they're all just in a few states. They're in California, they're in Florida, they're in New York. Um, that's where that's where the majority of the real partisan battles took place, where the turnover happened. That was as, as a result of you know members winning or losing an election. So one thing that was very interesting is that you had a lot of states <clears throat> that are you know blue states like New York, which Republicans did well in. You had uh, Democrats doing like fairly well in in areas that are thought of as kind of Republican areas or purplish areas. In the Senate, uh, a lot of races were won by senators who were just better candidates than their opposition. Um, but it, what it led to is a very finely divided Congress, just like what we had. I mean, we're, we have that now, but the difference is that Republicans now have a very thin majority in the House next year, as opposed to the Democrats. And I think that has a lot of implications. I think uh, having having a small majority has been difficult for for Speaker Pelosi, and it's going to be difficult for Speaker McCarthy if he's able to get enough votes to become Speaker. But managing the Republican conference has been a very difficult job for uh, Republican speakers over the past decade or longer. Um, and I, I think that's going to continue to be the case, especially with such a thin margin where only a handful of members can derail the entire majority's uh, plans of, to move forward on, on, on legislation. 
Andy, put a fine point on it for us. What is that razor-thin majority actually look like for Republicans in the House as of now? I think right now they have 222 seats, so that would be four or five. The the problem that you have, and apparently this has only happened or hasn't happened since like the 1930s, but, you know, every year you have uh, members who pass away, as Congressman uh, McEachin did from uh, Virginia earlier this week. You have members who pass away. You have members who who leave. You have members who take other jobs. Like there is some cycle and, and the, some fluctuation between members. Just it's very, you know, 435 people. It's very difficult to have the stability. And, and usually when it happens it or when a member leaves or there's a special election, Usually it, it doesn't impact the partisan lean of the entire body because usually the margin is bigger. But you really have the potential here where just a, a member leaving or a member taking a new job could swing the whole house to the other party or back and forth. I think the Republicans are going to have a very difficult time, too, because Nancy Pelosi operated under this margin, was very successful in getting legislation across. And even partisan, you know, the differences between kind of the member, the personality differences of the members of the party, uh, Speaker Pelosi was able to do some, uh, do a lot of what she did because she allowed remote voting for the first time in the House's history due to the coronavirus epidemic. Uh, Speaker McCarthy says he doesn't want to do that, which means he's going to require everyone to be on the floor to vote. He's going to need every member to be on the floor to vote for legislation, which is a very difficult thing to do. So we'll see how that works. That is just incredibly insightful and wise to consider the human element here in what it is uh, on the ground for 435 individuals in the House of Representatives. You've worked there. You understand that better than just about anybody. But let's think about this new reality of the divided Congress. I think conventional wisdom would argue that they wouldn't likely get much done. But there's some other generational changes that are going on. We've got this new speakership. We've got whole new leadership on the Democratic side. So I wonder, what do you think about the room for cooperation? I feel like every two years at this time, everyone always says, oh, well, you know, things are going to get harder to get anything done than it was last time. And two years ago, we talked about how the Democrats only have a one seat majority in the Senate. And the majority in the House is only four seats. How are they going to get anything done? And lo and behold, a lot of stuff got done. Maybe not the big, broad things that some people would want to have happen. There were only a few really huge, major bills that passed, but but they did. And they passed very big bills. And they're going to pass another one probably in two weeks that was going to have all sorts of stuff in it that impacts everybody and has all sorts of different implications for different industries. So can they do that in the next two years? Like, I think it's going to be hard. I think the Republican majority in the House is going to be very difficult to manage, just as it always is. But there are things that have to be done. The government has to be funded. The debt ceiling has to be raised. The, there are expiring programs that are very popular that need to be renewed. So I think it is short-sighted to assume that just because Congress is divided, that nothing's going to pass, because there are a lot of trains that have to leave the station. Let's take a couple of minutes to talk about just the issues that, you know, are important for NAPAC and our membership. What should we be watching for legislatively? I think I think the number one most important and pressing thing is going to be the House is going to be engaging in a lot of oversight. The Senate will too, but the House Republicans are going to be very aggressive on their oversight agenda because of uh, that. That's the only real opportunities they have to, to, to oppose the Biden administration from the House. So 
I would be concerned about the impacts that that could have on our member companies, on PACs, on you know, the broader view of our um, contributors to the PACs, you know, how they feel about what's going on in Washington. You know, I think, Andy, it's important to be aware we're moving into, I think, more of the same environment. And what that means from my perspective is that our members need to be managing that reality up and within their donor base and within their employee base or even within their member organizations to sort of manage these expectations, to be very upfront and direct about it and to be prepared. I agree. It's a challenge for every business and employee funded PACs and business trade association PACs are there to support champions and industry priorities forward. That's not going to change. And Andy Jones, Federal Street Strategies, thank you for being with us as you've been so many times over the years to give us a clear-eyed view of what we should expect in the next year. Thanks for joining us on the Facts About PACs, Andy. Of course. It's a, it's a holiday tradition. <laughs> and thanks to everyone downloading and sharing this show. Subscribe and meet us right back here on the Facts About PACs podcast.